0: Welcome back to another exciting episode of TSLR Film New Podcast. Uh, Devin here today to join me as we discuss all kinds of stuff. Actually, it's pretty light. We've kind of covered everything that's come out of CES, but we do have a few things to talk about. But first, Devin, I understand you have a 3D printer. How is that going for you, buddy?
1: <laughs> oh nothing but problems. Nothing but problems as you can imagine. Um no, things are going oh great because I, I knew it was going to be like this and it was a learning process and I'm having fun learning. Uh, I don't know. I'm hoping in a week or so I'll finally have printed something because that's kind of the goal, right? Uh, but because <laughs> that's that's the irony of it is I've I've spent so much time not printing anything, just putting it together, diagnosing issues, and trying to figure out where problems lie. So, uh, but I'm I'm slowly starting to understand it from the ground up uh, from a the engineering perspective, what's supposed to happen, what does what, and why it does it that way. And so uh, eventually, I'll probably be able to print something soon, but it's been slow goings. I completely warned you that <laughs> you 3D did. printers
0: were not easy. Uh, for those of you who are wondering why the uh, DSLR film noob gear doesn't really come out very much anymore, is because I don't really have time to take care of seven 3D printers like I did previously. So uh, because of that, uh, very limited runs on occasion when <laughs> the store is available. That is, it's tough to have a 3D printer. You always see these beautiful prints. Doesn't work nearly as easy as you think it should, and lots of stuff to go wrong. Now, on my end, other than installing a freaking fan in my bathroom, I have tried to take it easy this weekend watching a dog for family, friends, actually, my sisters or my wife's sisters, not my sis no, I don't know what I'm talking about. It's time for the news. the news. Time for the news. The news. Time for the news. All right, first up on the agenda here is actually something that is really cool. This is one of the last things I saw to come out of CES and this is the live stream movie 4K camera. Uh, this thing is priced at a very decent 499 and or excuse me, 399. Let's go with 399. And for that price, you're getting a 4K camera, but you're also getting A really good suite of software features to go along with this. Now, if you haven't seen the video, go to the show notes and check that out. But basically, you can run a 4K image in windowed mode and create three or four different windows even up to I I believe they max out at six windows that can be streamed or selected through or panned across or whatever you want from that 4k image that's coming in this also has internal 4k recording that captures just everything and you can do stuff with it later but it's a pan and scan tool
1: that's pretty sweet now Devin I know you're excited about this guy you're gonna buy one no, no, I'm not gonna buy one. I'm so excited about it, but unfortunately, I can't justify it uh, because there's never a situation where I'd use it. Even at the price, currently, as CES is running, uh, the camera itself, without the add-on, uh, comes out for $200. What? Uh, which is yeah, you didn't know that? Yeah, you can pre-order now. They come out in April for $200, and then if you want the add the pack on it as well, I think it goes up to $350. So. Uh, super what's super exciting about is just the simplicity you watch this video and it's like this is clearly not meant to replace uh, a crew of cameramen and a switcher and a tech director and all those jobs Uh, but for people who are can't afford that what I really love is when they show it uh, in the commercial they show it in a really weird use case where they're having like an impromptu fashion show I guess yeah and and it's, it's just kind of like, yeah, it could really make that look fancy, but then too, in that kind of internal business structure where you're just trying to send employees or designers or whatever ideas, a, a single camera just at one angle would service fine. You don't need like a broadcasting live suite that goes out to a bunch of people because it's just very few people who are going to cut in. And a webcam with YouTube free streaming uh, could suffice, but... Where I saw it used brilliantly was on the show floor. They showed an example where they set up one camera to hit a panel of people. So they had four or five people on a panel like you would have at a convention. And the camera is able to automatically, using face detection, jump in and get the shots, the single shots on every person, as well as then they'll let you zoom the camera all the way in to 720. They won't let you... Produce a stream that's under 720, just so that it maintains quality, but it'll let you zoom in as far as a 4K moving down to 720, which is pretty significant zoom range. Um, and then you can pan and move uh, on your own, too. You can set it up so that, you know, the virtual camera now, the 4K camera, can be looking at the panelists on the left, and when the guy on the right starts talking, you click on him, and it'll, you know, virtually pan over to him. Um Along with that, you know, I was thinking other things that I'm like, you know, what would kill this product is like if it had really crappy audio. Not that we've heard any audio demos, demos, but it's got an array of microphones that automatically try to, uh, I don't know, like pick up from the direction that you are virtually panning the camera if you zoom in and stuff like that. Uh, While that, to me, is usually gimmicky and there's usually not that much improved quality in using an array of microphones to triangulate sound, I know it does help a little bit. But the big thing that really surprised me is the fact that it's got a 3.5 millimeter on the back for external audio. So whether it's coming from a soundboard or you hook someone up wirelessly and you just plug audio in that way, this guy will actually be able to take in proper audio. And be able to like kind of deliver some, something a bit more polished because quality, like audio quality, means everything. Especially if you're shooting a panel or where people are talking and walking around. So having all those kind of options. And then I thought too, uh, you know, hey, are we just stuck on Wi-Fi? Because sometimes you go to places and the Wi-Fi is absolute crap. And sometimes when you, if you say you're going to use this for a theater production, uh, just as a low cost way to be like, hey. Uh, you know, we can live broadcast a show or write, live broadcast a dress rehearsal so that somebody can see it or something like that. Um, this The base station will give you an Ethernet input so you can actually use proper uh, gigabit Ethernet for your upload speed so that uh, you don't have to worry about Wi-Fi dropping in and out as people come in. So, As well as the various mounting options, you can tell they thought about it because they added um, not just a quarter, like on most tripods, it also has a microphone. So you can use just a cheap microphone stand, which most, I think most locations theaters, conventions, that's it's an interesting approach, but it makes so much sense because for the most part, microphone stands, if they're on a flat floor, they're pretty flat as it is, and um, it just makes it that much easier to set up. The fact that it's like, oh, we got a mic stand here, we don't need a tripod and take up a bunch of room on the floor or anything like that. This thing's so small and light, like a GoPro, we can just kind of stick it on top of a mic stand. So. There's a lot of stuff. Also, I think 4G connectability when you buy the base station, too. I think that USB port allows you 4G. So all these really great options for like somebody who really doesn't have experience in broadcasting or putting things together, it really brings multi-camera production to a point. I mean, it's not like you're getting different camera angles, but kind of. Multi-camera production in the smallest, cheapest form factor there is, uh, along paired with all this awesome software. Now, well, I've I'm, heard quotes... I'm- of the pricing being like nine bucks a month because as... Oh, you have to pay a a service fee of some kind? I think Livestream is free, and I want to say it's free, but they this guy will not let you broadcast to YouTube, Twitch, or anything else. So don't consider buying this to go to another service because they don't have that option. Now, from what it sounded like, some of the people in marketing said that they were talking about a monthly package possibly starting around nine bucks a month that would allow this device to go to other services. Livestream has been around for a long time. Even if you haven't heard of them, they've been around since before Ustream. And I want to say that they've probably held their own a bit longer than Ustream has. Uh, But they've been, they've been responsible for doing events for Spotify, TripAdvisor, Tesla. It's a pretty substantial company. So I don't imagine that them and their service is going to go away soon, but keep that in mind. Now, if you do record with it and you cut together a show, that recording, because it'll record internally too, that recording you can share anywhere. So it's it's not limited in that regard. Once you record something, you can put it on YouTube. You can share it to whatever networks you want and go wherever you want with but it. But you can't really use this as a, a webcam replacement then, can you? No, because it's kind of built just to pump straight into live streams. So that's the one thing is I think that they're selling this probably at cost uh, I mean, right now for 200 bucks, it's probably a little bit under cost because considering what a GoPro costs for 4K and everything else, they're probably selling this a little bit under cost to get people into using their cloud service because that's what they've been looking for for so long. They've been selling other products that I think we may have covered in the past, maybe not, small boxes with HDMI inputs that'll take your footage over 4G or over Wi-Fi and also broadcast to the live stream network. And those devices ran between 300 to $600 uh, depending on some of the features and things you wanted in them. Because they, they've been kind of in this weird gray space where we're like, uh, we kind of want to make devices like uh, Teradek does for wirelessly transmitting video. and But rather than like wirelessly transmit to a switcher, the guy switches all the cameras and then, that wire, and then that transmits to the internet. I think they're really planning on everyone transmits to the cloud and then you switch in the cloud. That's been their design structure and it hasn't exactly, I don't think really taken off yet, but it has been used in multiple cases. I know a few people who, when Livestream first launched, that's one way they did their podcasts, is actually multiple people would use the software to broadcast to Livestream, and then online with the Livestream switcher software, the cloud would add lower thirds, would cut the cameras, would record and broadcast, and all that other stuff. So it's, it's kind of interesting. It's a very interesting thing, but it's very clear that they're trying to use this to get people to use their service. Uh, but I don't think they're ignoring the fact that they have a really good product on their hands that no one else has done yet, and that in in order to keep the product from dying they should probably even if at a cost provide an opportunity to use that for other services because certain businesses and affiliates are going to want things done in a certain way whether that's well oh, we need to do it through YouTube because that's our platform or hey we need to uh do this through RTSP because we need to control every end of this broadcast we can't send it to a third party service so that all you know that all remains to be seen but i think it's super exciting Uh, Because I love anything where, like, you know, it's like having a mini live studio in your hands. You can just kind (laughs) of set it down. I mean, say you wanted to run, like, your own news program. You could almost just set this camera down in front of your news desk on a stand and hook your audio into it. And then you sit there with an iPad and sit there and cut together a news broadcast. Like, it's just it's a really cool concept. I'd like to see where it grows and where it goes. Uh, But, like I said, I won't be using one because... I'm either going to bring out all the cameras and all the stops and do a high-end production, is where I'm involved, uh, or you know, it's just this is a very personal product. It either goes to a person or a business who's trying to do this specific thing for the lowest cost possible, and I'm usually not that. I'm usually what gets called in when there's more money in the production. So,
0: well, this would be really good for event. Uh, situations if you could have multiple units and like two people running an ipad or one person running an ipad you know set up the face tracking they they are also using some visual learning uh aspects to this too as supposedly the face tracking is continually updated on this mm-hmm. system uh, they're using tons of uh of stock footage to load into one of those uh, learning machines. Uh, You know, it's kind of weird. Like, they're doing the same thing with cars. A lot of the situations where uh, these new uh, automated cars are working, the reason they're working is because they just load tons and tons of driving time into the simulators, and the computers sort through it and figure out, like, what to do with each of these things. And with face tracking, it's the same thing. The pans on this, though, did you see the pans? Because they looked a little awful. Like, it didn't Um, seem like there was a way to really control... The speed at which it moved from one section of the screen there, to the other?
1: There could be. For me, the pans were not bad. Uh, when I did see a few demos of them panning, uh, it was quick. And I'm talking about the live CES demo they had at the table. Not that I'm at CES, but I've seen people report on this. Um, as opposed to their product video, it seemed kind of like a very slow, gentle pan. The actual pan seemed to be very quick. But the pan did ease in and ease out of the move. Overall, a lateral pan like that, if they keep that like uh, virtual focal length, I guess you could call it, by staying that zoomed in and then sliding across the screen like that, it's going to feel like a giant dolly move because you're not changing uh, the angle of uh, your your field of view. You're not changing that angle and rotation. You're changing it laterally. So it feels like somebody just took a camera and slid it like 300 feet across the floor. Um, So it's a little weird. But I don't think that that's necessarily a problem. Um, I don't see that as being a downside. I, they might, because they think of so many things, they might actually come up with a way that you could control how fast it pans. But overall, I think it's a it's a great little package, and I think it could serve a lot of people. I'm just not getting called to do a lot of live broadcasts these days or necessarily live broadcasts that would fit this because while this will be great for live broadcasting, uh, maybe theater shows, or panels, discussion, or even, to, to the education district teaching. You know, it'd be great for that. You could put a wireless pack on a teacher, plug it into this, and then this guy just say, hey, follow this face around. And it'll sit there and follow the teacher around the room. Um, well, you combine this with something like a swivel, and
0: uh, oh, yeah. that's got the built-in mic plus the pointer plus the follow tracking system. You stick that on there, not only does it pan the camera around, but you also have you know, the zoom-in capabilities. And
1: then it's a one-click button to send that out to the Internet where they have a flat rate and thousands upon thousands of people can watch it. So, I, like I said, I see a lot of potential, but then, too, it, it won't fit every event. For example... Um, amateur MMA events, they like to live stream a lot, and is setting this outside of a cage isn't going to get a bunch of good shots. That's something where you really need individual cameras over or inside the cage. So uh, I see it working for lots of situations. I don't see it working for every situation, but I see it being really good in those couple of situations. So I'm all about it. I really love it. and But even at the cost of $200 right now, I don't know. I can't justify it because I could imagine buying this and then never using it, unfortunately.
0: Yeah, this does look like it could become one of those mini paperweights that you're like, ooh, I should buy this, and then you know when it finally shows up, you're like, what am I going to do with this thing?
1: Right, right. And 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 I'm, as as gear guys, we run into that a lot, and so I'm trying to get better about it. I'm trying not to amass a giant warehouse like DJ over there. Oh man. But the uh, <laughs> but because uh, DJ has even talked about starting to organize and maybe slim down a few things that uh, you know maybe were a little impulsive at first. Uh, this, but this is one of those where I'm like, yeah, but no client has told me yet they need this. And so it makes it hard for me to justify. When it goes up to well, full price, being $400. If you're getting
0: one of these, you're, not, you're probably getting one for a do-it-yourself project. You're not yeah. getting one of these to hire someone to run it for you. So you get one of these, you subscribe to the service, and you're like, I want to do knit- knitting lessons with like, you know, my sewing machine next to my you know, cutting board or whatever. And then you switch or, between those, you know.
1: Right. Or, you know, if me and DJ actually live close enough where we would come together for the podcast, then, yeah, this would work great to sit in front of a table while we two talk. Uh, but, but if I was going to do that, I'd just
0: two-cam it and, you know, do sure. it the normal way. But,
1: well, And part of it, though, is the the ease of use, which is something that isn't necessary for me. I don't need products to be easy because we've worked in this field for a long time and we've worked in some very complicated workflows. So something like setting up a couple of cameras is not a big deal to us because we do that every day where this product is targeted towards people who really have no knowledge of how to work video. So that's why it like individually doesn't help us, uh, but it's one of those really cool products that you're like, man, I could see this working out so well for so many different kinds of people. So, you know, hopefully they'll get the word out. Hopefully they won't screw up being, uh, allowing it to be used on other services. Even if that costs money, even if it's a very small $9 a month, which isn't unreasonable because they're still going to use their cloud service to then retransport it to wherever it needs to go, um, as well as develop the API that works between the two, um, I, I'd still say that to me that's worth it. Uh, but if they don't handle that well and they're like, no, you need to buy our pro package of $42 a month in order to use YouTube or something like that, uh, <laughs> then that would be a total killer. Because there's so many people who are like, I have a huge following on YouTube. So when I live stream, I need to do it through YouTube. So my YouTube subscribers will see that I'm streaming on YouTube. It's very important for them. And then you come out this great product and you're like, no, no, you have to use it on our service, which you don't have any following or fandom on. And they're going to be like, well, then that doesn't help me because, you know, I need something that works with YouTube. So, Well, you still have the recorded to uh, micro
0: SD card option, so you could go back and do whatever afterwards. Now, I wonder also if there's any way to, like, keep track of the moves that you make and apply those directly to your 4K image that's captured in post so you could get the same sort of pans and tilts that you had already worked on so you don't have to do it over
1: again. As far as I know, it doesn't It does record. It, it records what you do, so when you go just straight to the internal micro SD card to record locally, whatever pans and moves you do, that gets printed. You don't get an, a raw 4K image to mess with later. Now
0: the interview I watched with the uh, the founder or the the CEO or whatever part of the business he, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you know you don't even know the product manager or whatever. he said that the image recorded to the card was 4K, and that's it. So, okay, then your pan and moves are only going through the The 720p stream output that's available Mm -hmm. via either Wi Fi or Ethernet. So,
1: to me, so then, so then you know what it's doing? That's why this thing is so cheap, too, because it's not doing anything internally. It's, I bet you, its face detection and its panning and zooming is all being done in their cloud service. Could be so. So, therefore, when you say, "Oh, pan to this face," it's really just your phone telling the cloud, "Okay, I want you to pan to this face," and this camera just sits there spitting out uh four k the entire time,
0: yeah, and then it's just subsampling whichever section of the sensor it needs to in order to accomplish yeah it, that's it's interesting it's a really cool idea. And, I mean, I am guilty of, of pan and scan in 4K going to 1080p. <laughs> and 720p, I mean, really, most uh, YouTube live streams like this one right now, 720p is acceptable. Uh, yeah. If, in fact, you know, we're more concerned about using good audio than we are about the issues that uh, arise from video. Now, on that note, I asked you this before the show, and then I stopped. You I know, it's like, I want to ask you this on the show. <laughs> Why the heck is Logitech the only uh, manufacturer of these usb cameras for this sort of application you know you don't see anybody else now i I, that's why i asked right away does does this allow for live streaming but really like you look at the the top three the top 10 you know uh, webcams out there what is it it's logitech it's logitech it's logitech and it's just like three tiers of logitech what's going on with that
1: okay for one thing um a logitech not they make great consumer technology. Anyone who uses Logitech mice and keyboards, I've been gaming with a Logitech mouse for Got a long right time. Here. Yeah, and because uh, they they have just great quality. They always have products that work for a long time uh, in the consumer space, and they have um, a high quality components. And it's clear that they're kind of listening to their consumers and they know what's important to them. Uh, great examples of this is mice that last for over a year wirelessly. Uh, that was an unheard concept. Like you know five six years ago um as well the uh uh the mx 518 uh which is what i grew up gaming on that mouse was so monumental and it was a basic infrared mouse it wasn't using lasers or anything fancy very old technology but instead of like discontinuing that mouse being like we got fancier mice with like lasers and like faster polling rates and everything else and i know i'm speaking greek to anyone who's not like hardcore fps gamer over here but uh, instead of like just coming up with big marketing terms and everything else, they knew they still had an audience that loved the 518 so they came out with it again I forget what they called it, I it's like the 600 series or something, but they came out the exact same shape, weight, and sensor technology just in like, you know, an updated package so that people who broke their old mouse could buy that exact mouse again because people just fell so in love with it and they didn't want to upset their uh, their consumers. So it's a very smart company that puts things together and they're kind of apple-ish. They're very big about making things easy and pretty and sometimes, you know, minimalist design if it's not some kind of gaming hardware that's gotta have glowing neon lights everywhere. Uh, but For webcams, Microsoft actually makes fantastic webcams. No one gives them enough credit because everyone hates the branding. Uh, But the Microsoft Lifecams are actually really, really good. If you pixel peep between the two, you may find that the Logitech is a little bit better. But you really have to pixel peep for it. If you look at the the top-of-the-line Microsoft and top-of-the-line Logitech, uh, they both, to me, look great. And they both look identical. I feel like the reason why Logitech owns the market is because, for the most part, I think the market is dead. Uh, video chatting hasn't really taken off. I mean, I almost feel like FaceTime is more popular than doing Skype video chats. I haven't had a Skype video chat in forever. DJ is the only person I even video chat with for all of 2015. So, um, <laughs> depending on different collaborations and stuff like that, I can see where, uh, you know, people would get a lot of use out of that technology. But for uh, Logitech's sake, I feel like they just stomped out the rest of the market because either people are going to spend. 15 bucks on a piece of crap webcam, which Logitech has very low cost webcams as well. So they're also nailing that market. Um, As well as then people who want the high quality stuff uh, like us, uh, they own that market as well. And I feel like it's just, there isn't a lot of people who are interested in the market because every laptop, uh, we know everyone's been moving away from desktops on the consumer space. I mean, we edit, we do all kinds of stuff. So we need big, powerful machines. So it sounds weird to be like, most people don't have desktops when all you've owned is a desktop, but most people don't. A lot of people have switched to laptops. I've done lots of, you know, computer repair jobs for family and friends where they've swapped out for laptops. Everyone now is dumping their desktop for a laptop because the pricing difference is negligible, especially when you consider that people don't need a lot of processor power to do Facebook and YouTube and all the, you know, little office things you do on a computer now. Um, so, and all those computers come with webcams and microphones. And yeah, everything but they else. kind of suck. Oh, no, they absolutely do suck. But that's the thing is nobody uses it enough that they care about the quality of it. It's one of those where, like, if they do care about the quality of that kind of thing, then they're buying a MacBook or something fancy that's going to have a really nice webcam. Um, most people aren't buying desktops and then adding webcams to them. It's just that's a very narrow market share. So the only people willing to put money in it is Logitech. And you know, and slightly Microsoft, though Microsoft is kind of closing its doors on that as well uh, they haven 't come out with a, I think a new webcam model in probably five years so it 's just one of those where it's it 's very it 's very narrow and there there isn 't i don 't feel like there 's a lot of money in it, so not a lot of people are challenging Logitech at that market there. already know Logitech has the branding, and they 're kind of king right now of webcams, which sounds silly because it's such a small anthill to be king of but <laughs> that's what that's what I that that's what I really feel is that everyone's like there's no money in this market and there's no And there's definitely not enough money to make it worth challenging a branding like Logitech in this market share. So they just kind of get to do whatever they want and they can produce high end webcams that, you know, frustrate DJ over there because he can't manually change a couple of settings.
0: Yeah, it's really irritating when you're used to using a real camera and suddenly like white balance is a hard thing to deal with. It's just, man, I want like a, a plug in for my DSLR. And I actually looked at. Like some of these HDMI streaming devices from like Blackmagic, in order to get something from you know use a really fancy webcam, and it seems like it's it's almost impossible to to do it on the cheap. You almost uh, have to get into like yeah,
1: it it, it depends. Um, you got to make sure you get ones that are compatible with Skype. That usually means that they've got a driver that'll recognize as a webcam. Um, instead of Blackmagic though, uh, I would say look over at. I forget what they're called. Uh, There's a few gaming capture cards that are pretty cheap. And by cheap, I mean they're like under 100 cheap. Um, But they'll take HDMI input and you can put a GoPro into them. Uh, They're powered over USB 2.0. They only require USB 2.0 because they're actually doing the H.264 encoding on the board itself. So it doesn't require CPU power. That's one of the big things that launched Logitech into being king of the webcam game because webcams for a long time used to actually just be raw video devices that would do 640 by 480 like raw pixel data into the computer and the computer would have to crunch that to fit into the stream to go up to Skype or whatever else was going on. Um, Logitech, on the other hand, was one of the uh, first companies, along with Microsoft, to put H.264 and Motion JPEG encoders into the webcam itself so they can do high-quality 1080p footage through a measly tiny little USB 2.0 pipeline, uh, which normally is way too small of a pipeline for 1080p. But because it's being compressed before it gets transported, it's able to fit. And uh, that allowed them to beat out the quality on every other webcam. I don't know if they had a patent on it or anything like that, but that's one of the reasons why people used it, because especially if you're... uh, Back when people had low-end machines, like having a dual-core was kind of a big deal. Um, It kind of required a dual-core if you wanted to do live 720p encoding of your webcam. But Logitech made it so that single-cores could do 720p webcam footage. So... um, that kind, of, that kind of helped them to take off. So it, it's interesting, but there are, I think, uh, I don't want to say live streamer, because I know we're, we were just talking about that. Because uh, I've got one that I got just for my own personal projects for doing live streaming content. Uh, I think it's called like the Live Gamer Yeah, portable. I'm looking at the
0: Extreme Cap and the LGP. These are all like,
1: cool. Oh, everyone Avramedia. FPS. Uh, Avermedia has a really good one. I bought the portable one for $150. Sold, buying it right um, now. Yeah, no, Uh, it's, and I liked it because uh, it did allow me to use it just off of USB power. I could power it with a USB uh, adapter and it would do, I think, like 18, 20 megabit, 1080p footage to an SD card, which was kind of neat, as well as then you could plug it in straight to a computer and pull 60 uh, megabit, 1080p off of it as well. So I liked that there were two options like that. You also have internal capture cards, which are a little bit cheaper Um, as well as the one that doesn't have the portable option is for like a hundred dollars if you're never gonna use that portable SD functionality. So uh, there's, there's quite a few options. If you wanna roll your own webcam, you just need to make sure that they say that they're like Skype compatible because that generally means then, yeah, it's like a webcam and all your apps are going to view this capture card as a webcam. Cause that's one of the problems. Like we are trying to do Skypes with black magic capture cards. I don't remember specifically the models or if they updated the firmware or if this problem's been like fixed. Cause that was years ago, but we weren't able to do it because the black magic capture card could be seen as a capture card by Premiere and all the editing software, but yeah. it wasn't treated as a webcam. So you couldn't use it with video chat software. Um, so that was you know, uh, a painful lesson to learn after uh, management already sent somebody out with a, like a USB 3.0 Blackmagic external capture card, and then we couldn't connect with him on Skype to get live event coverage. But uh, you, know, you live and learn. So that's one way you can do it if you really you know, want something that's higher quality for doing uh, you know, a webcam. Or instead of DJ buying the Logitech 930E, which is a business class webcam, he could buy the Logitech 920C which is uh, supposed to be the consumer end, but it actually gives you all of the controls over the camera so that you can individually set what you want.
0: Yeah, yeah, rub it in. Okay, moving (laughs) on down the line. That's interesting. I do want to look more into these capture cards, so I'll definitely be checking that out. Uh, Let's talk about the image stabilization combination of on sensor and in lens with that 300 millimeter Olympus um, F4 lens. This thing, man... Uh, Well, here, let's start out before I get too overwhelmed with my excitement for this and just take a quick look at some of the shots here. This is handheld and uh, these guys are, uh, you know, out in nature, a ways away from these baby seals laying on the beach and they're shooting handheld image stabilization. It's, It's
1: really hard to believe that it's handheld, especially considering that, um, I mean, this Olympus is a, you know, micro four-thirds mount, right? So yes, definitely. So really, that's like 600 millimeters. It's like really. holding a 600-millimeter lens and look at how stable it is. Uh, that's really in a testament to how well-tuned in this image stabilization is. I was a little disappointed the video didn't have a higher bit rate. Yeah. Uh, well, That's you're just me. You're well, limited, let, though,
0: with uh, that camera to 1080p. So, I mean, because the, they're shooting on, I believe, the uh OMD 5 Mark II. So that's... Yeah. That's like uh, 1080p max.
1: I, I, I don't need 4K, but this is like the crappiest 1080p I've seen on YouTube in a long time. I don't know if it was something during the editing process or encoding, uh, but it looked poor. It looked really bad 1080p YouTube that I haven't seen for quite a while. So I've got the feeling they maybe screwed something up in their post-production workflow, but it does the job of showing the image stabilization. So there's no need to bash whoever wasn't in- responsible for uploading to YouTube. Um, Yeah, I'm really excited for it. I mean, we've talked about how I want a longer lens, and f4 is pretty doable for, like, any kind of situation you could be in where you're going to use a lens that long uh, because you're not really going to use this indoors. Uh, Does it have any kind of macro functionality? Uh, Not that I'm aware of.
0: There is, like, a change in focal depth, but I believe it's, like, going from uh two and a half meters to 1.3 meters so still you're fairly mm-hmm. far away i mean it's yeah. mas- macro-esque but i don't think you're going to get like a one-to-one no. out of yeah. it by any means you could probably use you know you could put a couple of extenders on there if you really wanted to try and turn this into a, a make macro work. but that's i mean that's getting a little bit more <laughs> like uh iffy you know
1: no no but the uh uh, I'm I'm excited for it. What was the pricing on this again? Like $2,500, $2, yeah. I believe, is which the price really, of this guy. Which, with the image stabilization, I feel like now really looks like an attractive price for it. It yeah, really
0: makes me excited. From the early hands-on that I've, I've read and seen, people are saying this is one of the best-built micro four-thirds lenses they've ever had. Uh, it feels really solid. And I can attest, I've got right here my uh what is this 40 to one of, or 150 and this guy is nice and solid all metal really well built especially compared to no offense panasonic but your panasonic <laughs> lenses especially your zooms they're kind of plasticky that they don't mm-hmm. feel nearly as well built uh, olympus just does an awesome job you know like the click ring snaps mm-hmm. everything's nice and metal You know, it feels really solid. And I'm guessing this is the exact same build. Uh, Very beautiful. And price, I mean, really compare that to... An equivalent focal length in the full frame factor, you're you're probably in the double double digits, you know, or if not, at least like yeah, eight or nine thousand dollars for it's, one of those guys. So.
1: And the uh, like Canon six hundred millimeters, like usually an f four as well, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I believe it is. So uh, they may have a monstrous f 28 I remember seeing some sort of like crazy pictures, <laughs> but uh,
1: like some fifty thousand dollar lens <laughs> that there's only two of in the world.
0: Yeah, you, you sure never own, you only rent, and it's yeah. for like one type of bird found. In malaysia somewhere that that's the only thing you shoot on it with it, it's really cool it's interesting um there's links to the articles there and the video check that out for the audio listeners uh moving on and this is actually where i kind of wanted to go devin and i got into a heated debate about uh audio gear before the show and both of us over the course of our career have been asked multiple times to be uh, a soundmen for bigger jobs here and there and myself i own a full audio kit i used to shoot on or I used to record on a Fostex FR2 way back in the day, and uh, the Sennheiser um, 416 MKH mic, as well as the CS1 from Sankey and uh, the Audio-Technica 4073. Now, Devin, you're building your audio kit back up again because mostly you've got wireless kit and, like, one boom mic. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, I've got... uh you know i've I've always like borrowed audio kit i've never really had my own, and so lately, since a few favors uh people have been asking for me to do some audio so I was like, you know it's probably time I start building something out so I can do audio exclusively, which w- it normally means at least um, having an audio bag with a mixer in it, and uh you know a handheld mic, a shotgun mic is usually pretty basic, a wireless law some nice headphones. Um, And then, you know, uh, some cables to run it over to the camera. Or if you're doing uh, more film or narrative, uh, you're usually recording audio separately because either they're using a DSLR with terrible preamps or maybe they're actually even using film. And so, of course, there's no way to, you know, get that onto the celluloid. So uh, I was looking at that, and that's when I started looking at the 701D, which, uh, you know, we've talked about in the past. We weren't sure where it fits, but the 701D... From Tascam has actually fallen into a few people's hands and they've started doing some reviews on it and it seems like some really impressive stuff it seems like the preamps are actually better uh they're supposed to be the same preamps as the 70d mark ii from Tascam as well but i it to me it sounds like they're actually have a lower noise floor they might be the same preamps but maybe they did something to uh, lower the noise floor and really make these preamps really quiet so i'm a big fan of that as well as the automatic HDMI recording. DJ was a fan of it sending all four tracks out of the HDMI port. So if you're going into an Atomus or other external recorder, uh, you know, it'll be able to record all those tracks too. So that makes mixing, you know, your post production a lot better. It's come with time code input, which is really important when you are doing stuff on the film set because um, uh, you, you can keep your audio in sync with time code with your video, which may be a foreign concept to some indie filmmakers, but. Uh, time code is this universal thing that in post you can like just like I know Premiere I think Final Cut can do it too but like in Premiere you can highlight two clips and you're like match the time code and boom your stuff is synced so or you I'd could really just s- use pluralized and like
0: keep the dates pretty close yeah. and you're yeah, probably you can- fine
1: you can use pl- pl- uh, Pluralize, and Pluralize will do a great job of it. I use Pluralize all the time, too. So it's not necessary to use time code. It's just one of those nice features because you know you'll nail it every time, and you won't have anything to worry about afterwards of stuff being slightly out of sync. Also, the um, pods on it are completely continuous. They aren't stepped like they are in the 70D, which I know isn't a big problem. I know people have like, oversold it as being like, making an a issue. terrible product
0: for continual audio so if you're recording like a live music or something of that nature it's an issue but if someone's talking and you're stepping through volume uh you don't notice it because there's pauses in speech it's it's hardly even yeah. a, an, an issue at all and what are you doing most of the time when you're recording you know audio for a film you want to get uh people speaking so that's the the most important part I know.
1: And, and people people that got oversold because um uh, when Juice Link did a review of all these different products put together. and He's He was pretty mean at about 60D. it, too, man. He was, and to his attestament, I think they fixed this in the Mark II version of the products, but there actually was kind of a glitch sound when it stepped down. Not so much even that it was just like stepping down in harshness, that, and you could hear it. But also, if there was a continuous tone while you were stepping it down, there'd kind of be like a small blip, like a some kind of artifacting in the audio that I was hearing. So I kind of understood where the complaint was. I just didn't think it was that big of a deal considering the price point of these recorders. So now um, I will say that this bet
0: or this particular device, the D70 and the or the 70D. And the 701D, great names, by the way. Thanks, Pascam, <laughs> for that. Uh, now you can actually get somewhat official uh, sound bags for this. This is the k offering, and there's a few other flavors out there. For $95, this gives you places to hang your uh, lav mics, uh, places to get into your wire access. You know, a nice little bag. Uh, Devin did notice right away that there is no rain cover over the top of this, which is unfortunate. Yeah. But uh, really, I mean... That's a pretty attractive setup for such a low-budget audio device. And going back to the gear I used to use, I mean, we were talking just for audio recording unit, uh, probably a thousand dollars or more, plus you know mixers and so on to go ahead of that. I mean, it used to be three grand or better invested in just your audio bag. Now. This is, what, 599 for this, this sort of souped-up version for, of the 70D? Yeah, for D? the
1: souped-up version. But e- even if you don't care about timecode and everything like that, I mean, like, less than $250 for, uh, you know, four inputs uh, with XLR and phantom power on all four points, or TRS if you're into that kind of thing. So uh, it's it's really surprising, too, where because when you consider the quality you're getting out of this, uh, this, even the 70D, while I say the 701D has what I think are lower noise floor and better preamps. Even the 70D is a world better than the H4N, which people always used to be like, oh, you got to get this because it's way better than the internal preamps. And that's true. On the Mark II and the Mark III, terrible you know, audio preamps on those things. I was going to cuss there, and I decided not to. <laughs> and so the, uh, uh, just because I've been so angry about it, uh, you got me angry about it. But uh, the 70D is way better than the H4N. I have an H4N, and I hate to use it because it's so noisy and uh, even the 70D is a world better. I never use my H4N
0: for mic inputs. I always use it as an audio recorder, you know, with the built-in microphones and this mm-hmm. and anymore I don't even carry it. I carry my H1 because the mics are exactly the same and really what I want is like oh it's raining out I need some rain samples or like oh before I forget let me leave this microphone on for you know three minutes in this room and get a stereo pattern of it so that I can throw that over the mix when I'm editing audio you know that's what I use it for the H4N I mean you know you can use it for Internal recording, and if I'm if I have like a guitar part, for example, that I just want to like sample or something, that's great for that, you know. But yeah, for actually running a boom mic, it doesn't have enough gain to really yeah, like to make the, that work. Yeah, and the gain that it does have, you're right, it's not it's not very clean. It's a little bit rough. Uh, you know, if you use it with something like the Sennheiser uh, MKH. It's it's not strong enough to to get even like up to minus six dB, you know. So it's
1: yeah. And if you remember when you reviewed those iRigs, the little cheap twenty five dollar iRigs for getting uh, phantom power into your cell phone, which you could also use to get into your DSLR. Uh, camera. They have better uh, gain. That that sounds way better than the H four r in terms of a noise floor. So. Uh, Yeah, I was never a fan of the H4n at all, even when everyone back then was like heralding it as like, oh, you need to get this, it makes your audio so much better. And I'm like, I guess it did if you have a 5D, but I never really had cameras like that. Now,
0: one of my favorite microphones, and this is one I I always rant and rave about, is being one of the best budget microphones to get if you're starting out in audio, is actually the Audio-Technica 4073. And the reason I say that is because the Audio-Technica 4073 is used in, in tons of news stations all over the world. And because of that, there's a glut of them in the used market. Like, you can get them for super cheap. The output of those mics... Are super hot so even Mm -hmm. with something like the zoom h4n you're going to get very acceptable to very strong levels out of a microphone like that without much gain on the input it's just it's the nature of this thing and it has a ton of reach now don't use it indoors like if you're in a room like i'm (laughs) in right now you know it'll pick up echoes everywhere but if you're outdoors and you have someone at even you know five or six feet away, and you can't get the mic in a good place, this thing will still give you really strong, good quality audio. and And I think that's why it's a favorite in the in the news gathering scene. Um, it, it's not as as beefy, and it doesn't have as much uh, low end to it as you would get out of other microphones. So you're going to sacrifice some of that, but. For me, you know, getting audio that you can actually hear and listen to from your actors is way more important than losing a little bit of bass. I can push it and post if I have to. And that microphone used on eBay, check it out. You can usually find them for in the two hundred and fifty to four hundred dollars range, and it surpasses any of the mics that are available at a new price at two hundred fifty to four hundred dollars. Yeah, for like the. the, the
1: isn't the ntg2 like a 300 hundred dollar mic yeah the or like the road
0: series ntgs uh go all the way up to, i think they top out about 700 bucks and the lower ones uh they're yeah. okay but i mean when you compare it to the value you get out of the uh at 4073 uh it's n- no match and then the 4073 comes in two flavors there's an a flavor and a b flavor The only difference is that one had uh, the electronics that had lead soldering, and the new one is R-O-S-H compliant, which means that it it has the non-lead soldering internally. Otherwise, the two are completely identical. So if you see them anywhere, you're basically getting the same thing. And now I wonder, because a T4073, it always shows up on eBay used for super cheap and I'm looking right now. Ooh, there's a blimp to go with it for eighty nine dollars, used. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah, uh, just take a look around. I'm not seeing any cheap right now on eBay. But they but.
1: pop up. It's one of those you you set up one of those uh, eBay tools that alerts you of no, low prices, and then uh, when it pops up, you buy it up. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking right, right
0: now for four uh, twenty five. I have two of them, and I think I paid like three twenty-five a piece, and they're in both of my kits. I carry them with me continuously. Awesome microphones.
1: Uh, let's see. Uh, December fourteenth, there was one that sold for two hundred dollars. Uh, 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 like ten days ago, there was one that sold for under four hundred. So
0: now the other microphone uh, I love, and if you ever get a chance. Go to B&H in New York. They have all these microphones on a table, and you can sit there and put on headphones and listen to each one, get a feel for them. That's the best way to discover like what mics you love. The a CS1, uh, I believe it's from Sankey, is a great in-room microphone because it has a a very omnidirectional pattern as opposed to a hypercardioid pattern. So it's not good for reach, but a lot of times when you're filming in a room, you want. A, you want more of an uh, uh, a even sound between the two actors, and you don't want to be moving your microphone back and forth a lot. So if you can get this placed like in between two people within two or three feet of them, you can get both of their audio really clear and clean from this microphone without getting a lot of room reflection and room noise in the audio recording. And this one has a really rich sound, but you're going to be spending close to, I think it's uh, around $1,000. Is that right, Devin? Or was it? Was it uh, yeah, 850? That's,
1: that's what I was seeing.
0: Yeah, and I, uh, well worth investing in. Uh, love this mic. Th- those are my two favorites. Uh, the four, uh, the f- uh, MKH four sixteen from Sennheiser is a classic as well. But again, that one indoors can suffer from uh, reflective walls and so on. So uh, you have to be cautious of that. And for the value, the 4073 is is well worth buying now the reason we're talking about audio here so much is one of the things you learn is that there aren't a lot of audio professionals out there uh, on the low budget range working on films and a lot of times people won't pay filmmakers very much money but the filmmakers will pay to have a good audio guy come in and take care of their audio for them so if you're not getting enough jobs in the filmmaking side of things, you can always go out and be an audio guy. And if you have a little bit of kit, probably a $5,000 investment, you can really rock that scene.
1: And, and audio is fun for me. I mean, like, uh, even somebody who likes doing cameras and lenses and everything else, I still have a lot of fun doing audio. It's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, too, that you can really dive into and geek out about, like how compressors work and all kinds of stuff. And you can end up becoming a gearhead and spending way too much on your gear. Uh, but I'm super excited about it. Going real quick back to the, uh, the k Tech bag. Uh, while DJ really likes it and the size, I would actually probably get a bag, just uh, my own personal preference, that probably has another slot per se in it because for one thing, I'd like to have the ability to hold transmitters. Occasionally, it's rare, but occasionally uh, when you're doing broadcast for news or something like that uh, and you're running around a lot, you'll want to wirelessly send your audio over to the cameraman. So you would need two wireless packs to do that. And, um, you know, normally you'd hardwire, and I think on most film sets and stuff like that, you'd hardwire unless you're really running around getting crazy. Uh, As well for... That kind of situation, I'd really like the ability to add uh, a proper battery because the task cams are terrible with battery. I think a lot of audio recorders are. I think that kind of has to just come down to the physics of the fact that they want to make it small. They only give you four double A batteries and then you're like running phantom power on your shotgun. So a lot of things mount on top of itself to make these things not last very long. So it'd be nice to put even a really small V mount. Or uh, you get some adapters and you convert over some Sony MP batteries or something like that because we've seen those where you can convert MP batteries to give you different ranges of voltage and whatnot. Uh, another slot in the bag would give you enough room to put a slim version of one of those Anton Bauer gold mounts or one of those V-mount batteries, and that will keep your pack running for more than six hours, eight hours. Uh, so you'd be able to you know, not have to worry about swapping out packs halfway through the day. So I'd look for a slightly larger bag. Uh, But this is still a really great small package for some people. And like DJ said, um, it's really fun. And it's I'm not saying, like, making good audio is easy. uh, But, you know, if you've never really looked at doing, like, actual audio work where all you're doing is, like, making sure the boom pole is in the right place at the right time and micing people up and stuff like that, uh, and you loved geeking out, you may, like, rediscover, like, your love for geeking out on something like you did with cameras where you're like learning fo- different focal lengths and sensor sizes. What does all that mean? And now you can learn about like pickup patterns and like, you know, EQ mixing and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, you may find audio is a lot of fun. So if you haven't given it a try before, uh, you definitely should. Cause he's right there. I know lots of filmmakers who are willing to pay for audio guys. Uh, but and they won't pay al- for
0: a freaking cameraman. To yeah, come yeah, but in they won't pay them. for a
1: cameraman. Cause I got a nephew with a 5d. Uh, how many times I've heard that. So <laughs> uh, yeah, moving on, you wanted to bring up the fact that Samsung hasn't mentioned anything about having cameras at CES. Look
0: at this guy transitioning for me. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Yeah, that's right. Actually, you know, with all these announcements from Nikon and some of the other can- camera manufacturers, uh Samsung has been strangely absent from CES, and there's a number of posts about that. Also, uh, reading on, there was an interview with the AP with uh, Nikon's product manager after the D5 was announced asking about rumors of a Samsung-Nikon merger, and he flatly denied them and said that these were, were simply rumors and there was nothing founded in that information. Do you think Samsung, after releasing some really decent cameras like the NX500 uh, and the nx uh, she was is a 500 and the 1000 was it the thousand i want to say yes i'm gonna go with yes but that's just me doubling numbers there so don't believe (laughs) everything you hear. but both of those are pretty interesting cameras some of the first cameras to offer h.265 internal recording and samsung surprisingly has a rather large list of lenses available for these bodies do you think they're backing away from this market and, and leaving the camera market in general
1: uh, I would say no. Samsung is a huge company. Um, some people don't realize that Samsung can kind of be summed up as the country of Korea uh, in some ways because, uh, believe it or not, you you can go out and do the research. Samsung does have uh, does produce military weapons and uh, tanks and NX1, many other things. By
0: the way, was the number I was trying to think of not one thousand? <laughs> uh,
1: so Samsung is actually, and they also do healthcare, and they do a lot in um. Uh, The whole health market over in Korea, and there really are a gigantic company that has several smaller names all attached to it Uh, to make it seem like they're kind of different companies. But uh, no, Samsung is huge and it is uh, if they wanted to, they can sit inside of the camera market. Uh, They may just be pulling back funds and research. I don't imagine they would go away. Uh, completely because with making smartphones and everything else, I imagine they still have an interest in the camera market or at least in making their own sensors. After all, they, you know, make their own panels and their own TVs and everything else. So for me, I feel like, yeah, they probably are, um, they, they may be getting reserved right now and they may be coming out with, uh, some more stuff in the future, but it's been quiet. I want to say for the past, what, like two years? Like you mentioned those two cameras and it's like nothing about them was even that different or revolutionary from the rest of the market. Well, the
0: NX500 was a very well-priced, like 500-esque dollar 4K uh, camera with interchangeable lenses, APS-C format and 28 megapixel. Uh, A lot of people really loved it. It's missing a few of the things that its uh, bigger brother, the NX1 has, but that was... I want to say the very beginning of 2015 or the end of 2014 that it was announced and released. And since then, we haven't seen anything really from from Samsung as far as, as cameras are concerned. The NX1 was in 2014, I believe. So, I mean, that's two plus years. And the NX1 was their flagship. So, you know, when are they going to refresh these guys? You see Sony kicking out a new camera every five minutes, you know, as soon as right. the, they barely let the the dying corpse of the A seven S fall to the ground before it's they're like, here's its replacement, you know, come on and fight the war, guys. You know, it's just it's it's really interesting that uh everybody was really kind of hot and bothered by Samsung at the beginning of 2015 in the camera range and hoping for some innovation. And now they've sort of dried up. Um, Maybe we'll see something at NAB. Uh, I don't know. What could they do now that uh, Nikon is sort of moving into the 4k range too? Do you you think Canon and Samsung might release some 4k full frame DSLRs
1: this year? You know what? That would be really interesting to see. And it would be interesting if they're waiting for NAB uh, to make that claim where they know they can get a bit more ground because ces is just such a i i don't know like it's uh, turned into a weird mess it's a,
0: man like they changed it's a their melting branding pot. Uh, yeah
1: it's a melting pot of like anything that has electronics in it at this point uh well you isn't know, it technology
0: like, now isn't it it's supposed to be a consumer technology show as opposed to the consumer electronics show i think that's how they rebranded yeah, it themselves
1: yeah, cause uh, man, there's just some weird stuff. A there's a cars. lot of weird stuff. Yeah, cars have yeah, and cars have been showing up there. Which yeah, there is new technology in these cars, but uh, you know, like BMW is in there because BMW goes, we'll get a lot more press showing our car here than if we go to the, you know one of the auto shows in Detroit or Chicago or where have you. So uh, it, it's interesting, and I maybe Samsung is making a smart move here, being like, you know what. We wouldn't get that much press anyway, so why don't well, we wait until NAB? They did make a
0: splash, not with cameras, but they built an entire house inside of the lot of CES. I did not see that, and uh, it was all Samsung interconnected. And it was all smart. Yeah, it, you know they had like the refrigerator that you could touch, and it had like a twenty-one inch screen on
1: it that you could. And I'm sh- Text and they and bought would, yeah. they bought smart things so I'm sure they were yep. showing off a lot of smart things uh devices yeah, there Yeah, it was a well. full
0: Samsung house like everything inside of it was all like Samsung consumer electronics from you know, uh, refrigerators to microwave ovens to dishwashers. <laughs> Look and at so how on.
1: awesome your life will be. If you buy all Samsung appliances, well, and I'm and technology. Like,
0: I have a, a washer and dryer downstairs that I can log into with my cell phone and start. So, I mean,
1: <laughs> and they're from
0: Samsung, you know, like, I don't know what I need those oh, for, my gosh. but I was like yeah. looking at it and it was like $15 more to get the one with, uh, you know, wireless connectivity. Like maybe someone can hack my house and like get into my washer and dryer and start a load frivolously for some you know reason.
1: what maybe um yeah it, it could be that samsung is maybe waiting until nab where they know they'll get more press um or, or there'll be more people interested in what they have to bring to the camera market during that time because uh you know it's it's like like you said even when you're like well you know they came out this camera that was a good price and did 4k and everything else and i'm like yeah but that's the thing you started with like the pricing and like the pricing was decent, but if that's the only selling point of it, um, unless the pricing is outrageous for what you're getting, then it doesn't exactly justify, especially considering like, uh, the mount and the lenses and everything else doesn't exactly justify all that. Uh, if you know, it's just like, Oh, it's, you know, 10% cheaper than whatever Canon's got or whatever Nikon's got. So it's just, whenever I read about the Samsung cameras, I'm like, that seems solid. Look at, you know, some sample pictures and videos and I go, that looks solid. I still don't have anything to convince me to jump over and start looking at him. But so. Look at this lens lineup, man. I mean, just scrolling
0: through 27 plus lenses, uh, you know, of a varying size and quality 17 millimeter f1.8, uh, lots of good primes, some good pancakes. It's a good selection of lenses and not just junk either. I mean, a 16 to 50 millimeter f2 to f2.8, that's pretty nice with built in image stabilization. I mean, they really have done a pretty decent job of covering the entire gamut as far as lens selection goes. And with that much money behind their lenses, you would think the camera bodies would continue to hit the market on a regular basis, uh, you know, pink. But no
1: one. But no one, I, and I see they do stuff like that because, like, they're still thinking of the consumer market. I don't feel like they think about the pro market that much. Maybe this year, maybe what they're doing is they're pulling back, and they're going to try to do something to hit the pro market. Uh, But I feel like a lot of their stuff is targeted towards the consumer market, and no one talks about Samsung cameras. I mean, that's why I find it surprising that so many people are reporting on, like, Samsung's absent, and I'm like, somebody noticed? Because uh, there's not a lot of people who uh, get excited or talk about anything that they're doing. Not that their stuff is not good. Uh, but when you consider, like, it's it's sometimes it's just the little things, and it comes down to the branding. For example, I own a, a film convert and film convert does not have any luts or any plugins or anything like that that's built to use a samsung camera. They'll have they've got GoPro, they've got Sony A7S, they've got, you know, Panasonic, they've got C100, C300, like you name it, they even have some Nikon stuff in there, but they don't have like built-in settings and luts for any kind of samsung camera. So Like most of the market just kind of ignores it because most of the market doesn't have it and I don't know why that is I don't know if it is because of branding or if it's because of problems with their product because as far as I can see there is no problems with their product except that it's not popular enough and I mean that's like a big branding question how do you make your Product more popular well, without gimmicks. I but. think Samsung is pretty big in
0: uh, Asian markets. Uh, when oh, I was in yeah, Singapore, sure. man, I, I, that but was the first time consumer. I'd ever seen one in real life <laughs> on someone, and it wasn't just one person; it was like person after person after person rocking a, yeah, a Samsung but like camera. I, like
1: I said, that's the consumer market. Like those are like enthusiasts who are like, "I want a really nice quality camera." Hey, look at this Samsung. This is a nice price, and it's a quality camera. Us professionals, we look for like these little features, like having a headphone jack as well as a microphone input jack on our dslr so we can monitor audio while we do video so things like that so uh you know it's just it's one of those that i feel like they need to come out with something really strong if they want the pros to start considering buying that as another camera But still, I don't even know if that's possible.
0: All right. Last thing on the list here is actually a lens. And I know this has been released for quite some time. This is the Tokina. Well, it's been announced for quite some time. They actually announced this in December. And I've kind of been like gestating it. It's not something that's hit my radar very hard. But the Tokina 14 to 20 millimeter F2 lens is an APS-C sized uh, sensor lens. It has the standard Tokina build, which if you're not familiar with that, that's sort of that bayonet manual to autofocus pullback click system that's sort of interesting and unique to uh, Tokina's lens design. This is F2 across the board, but no word on pricing yet. This is sort of a strange one, especially when you compare it to what's available from other manufacturers like the Sigma 18 to 35 millimeter F1.8. Now, what do you think about this lens, Devin? Is this anything to be excited about? Do you see anything I'm not seeing that would make this an <laughs> attractive item to someone or is, should it just be pricing?
1: uh like i said it it kind of comes down to um it's a little bit pricing it it's also too if you really wanna go wide um it's a little bit I,
0: wider but you know APS-C s e fourteen what is it, the crop factor on a Nikon's like one five uh, and the crop factor is one six on, so fourteen would be like twenty four ish, twenty six ish. Someone, you know, do the math on me. Right, that, but,
1: but if you were to, if you were to speed boost and use this with, uh, you know, mirrorless, like at a two X, I could see this becoming a little bit more important because you can get down, uh, for almost you can get down to under thirty. Uh, relative focal length considering the 2X crop on micro four thirds. Uh, but, you know, that's that that's such a small thing. Like, that means a lot if you, if you're running around with a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera, but there's also better options for the Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera if you want to go wide and, um, you know, you want something that's a, that's got some speed to it that's not like an F4. So, uh, and then again, that's like one camera because of its 3X crop that that would be really helpful for Where the rest of these, yeah, I'm kind of like, I'd go with the 18 to 35, because even 18 to 35 is a pretty short focal range, but, you know, 1.8, it's still got a little bit of zoom range. I don't know, that for me, the pricing, that would just work better anyways.
0: I've considered getting the 18 to 35 for my GH4, because that would be a nice zoom range and, you know, F1.8. Why not? And plus, you know, yeah. you put a speed booster on that, and now that the the uh, speed booster is working so well with autofocus, I mean, that yeah. would be fairly attractive. Uh, but at the same time, if you've used these larger lenses on something like your uh, Blackmagic Pocket Camera or the GH4 body, they're kind of they're kind of beastly. Um it's it's really big, it's sorta awkward, and you know, as soon as you start putting extra attachments like a you know, a a focal reducer on there, it's it's just it's not as convenient as native micro four thirds glass. So
1: you you started you started to become in love with having smaller kit, haven't you? Oh my (laughs) gosh, man.
0: The bag (laughs) is half as much. I can pack like four primes into a space the size of one L series lens. Don't get me wrong, when I go out to take stills, I still immediately reach for my uh, 6D or my 5D Mark III. But for video production stuff, my GH4 with really tiny lenses, that's just kind of been my stable go-to. Uh, and even for shooting 4K, I can crop in. Uh, you know, I can throw in some motion that wouldn't normally be there. It's a little... It's not a little, right. It's a lot cheesy. But. but
1: there's no there's no 1.8 zoom for Micro Four Thirds natively speaking. Yeah, that's true.
0: But I mean, I could fit. I'm looking at this guy right now, and and even with the speed booster on it. So you're talking something. In range with probably this uh, Olympus that I I don't mm-hmm. know why this is even on my desk right now I don't know what I was doing <laughs> with it but it's something in the range of this for size now I can fit three primes or four primes in that same space and have f one af f or f f12 across the board for
1: primes and just change out lenses but that's but that's you not planning on using the zoom functionality so for for me when I, I mean, how many I, times don't... like and we've had this argument
0: millions of times but when are you zooming and how often do you need to like zoom while you're filming
1: uh while filming maybe not even that much but for me any kind of documentary uh shooting unscripted and stuff like that yeah you zoom all the time because you don't have time to switch lenses so it just becomes a way for you to you know have a range have a bunch of primes without having to swap mounts all the time. If it's a narrative project where you get 30 seconds to breathe before each scene move then yeah it's not a big deal you just pack extra primes and then you're going to get you know a sharper image anyways because you know primes are always better than zooms and stuff like that you know well, all those, uh, I, you all know, those message kind board of, arguments I've come to um,
0: disrespect myself in that regard I used to say that all the time and like walk around with my primes Primes are the best flag. Uh, but, but Primes are the best. But if I want to zoom and I'm shooting documentary stuff, uh, you're not going to want super shallow depth of field because it's hard to keep track no. of people. So then I would go to my F2.8s and grab yeah. those zooms to work with. The, that's, that's why the weight I issue for the 18 to 35 has always kind of stopped me from purchasing it is because – it's it's way bigger than even the Olympus uh, 12 to 40 millimeter. Yeah. And, you know, the the Panasonic uh, 12 to 35 millimeter is a very nice little tiny petite lens. And both yeah. of those would be really great for running around doing documentary type of stuff. But you well, throw this and, on and there and th- now your camera's front heavy and like your IS isn't as good, you know.
1: For, for micro four thirds, uh, I think that's really where that sensor size strives. I know everyone's always like, Oh, bigger sensors are always better and stuff, but like a two F two point eight is pretty fast for most situations. Even if you're doing indoor and you're doing low light, you may have to bump up to 1600 ISO, but that isn't bad. 1600 ISO is usable, especially if it's unscripted where people don't expect things to look pristine and perfect on every single shot. And you combine that with the fact that with micro four thirds, you're naturally having a deeper depth of field because of the smaller sensor size. It makes it really easy to go around and shoot things on the fly. So. That's one thing I love about the GH3 is the fact that running around and shooting things on the fly, I don't have to sit here and fight my focus the entire time. Uh, on a few projects where I was rolling around with c C300 doing that kind of reality show kind of work, um, yeah, I was constantly fighting focus. I'd stop it down to like 3.5 or 4 and just bump up the ISO just to try to like get it to behave more like uh, something with a deeper depth of field, more kind of like an ENG camera um because still like it's nice to have that ability uh but you know can, when you consider the package size and the price and everything else uh it, it makes a good argument for why micro four thirds is really can really strive in that kind of shooting style in that market um where you got to run around and you got to be tight and you got to keep stuff small and you got to keep it with you and carry all your gear wherever you go uh it becomes really great for that uh i'm sure hence why um uh, griffin Hamm- hammond made his uh sriracha documentary on a gh3 over in um uh where it was thailand or something like that i don't know you didn't see I his thought... sriracha documentary no, it's a great documentary
0: go watch it i've met him a couple times and the first thing you hear from him is like i did a sriracha documentary and you're like okay great Thanks,
1: buddy. <laughs> well, I like sriracha, so go screw yourself. I thought it was made in California, man. I don't. It, half of it was, and then he actually got enough funding that he flew over there and talked to some people. It was a pretty well put together little documentary. I liked it, anyways. That's my personal taste on it. Uh, by all means, you know, uh, it's hey, I'm not, not trying like... to be a dick
0: here. People <laughs> get paid to do work. That's great. Continue on. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, uh, but that's that's why I think really works well for that size, especially if you get something with a little image stabilization. Uh, I wonder, too, it, it, what would make the Sigma really worth it for me for king around the extra weight is if it had a little bit of IS thrown in there.
0: Does the Sigma uh, that, have like IS? Because I didn't think it did. but uh, No, it no. does not. Let me double check myself. I'd be,
1: I'd be willing to pay an extra $300 for this lens if it had IS in it. but Yeah, that would be nice. It does not. I mean, it's it's a shorter focal length, so it's not like it necessarily needs it. But especially if you're going to put it on a camera that's so small that it becomes really front heavy, yeah. uh, IS can kind of help keep things a little bit more manageable. So, but Man. but you're right. When you get lenses this big on a camera that small, then you start thinking about well, I should probably rig it. Like not necessarily even need lens support, but just like make the camera package more manageable instead of being so front heavy and trying to rip it, you know, out of your hands. So. Well, yeah. here
0: is a picture just to give you an idea. Uh, for those of you listening, I'm showing a GH4 body with a uh, Sigma 18 to 35 on it, and I mean it's massive. It's it is massive. It's huge. It, it makes, dwarfs the body. It makes my uh, my Olympus 40 to 150 look like a regular size lens. It's just it's uh, ginormous. So I don't know. Maybe I'm being too picky here but if i'm gonna go no you just
1: you love small lenses now now that you've like had a backpack full of every lens you could ever imagine, and it, the backpack only weighed like 10 pounds. You're like, I want to do this all the time.
0: Uh, yeah, I I just went on a shoot uh, two weeks ago where I just brought GH4 gear, and I got to the top. I had to uh, schlup my gear by myself because I didn't have enough budget to hire anybody to come with me. And so I schlup my gear to the top of this like wildlife area, and it sucks. And, <laughs> and, I, and I get up to the top, and I'm like, man, you know what? this is weird. My back doesn't hurt. Like what's, <laughs> what's going on here? And then I look, and I'm like, Oh yeah, that's right. I just have a really tiny GH4 kit and I don't have to carry all the crap that I would normally have to carry with my L series lenses. And don't get me wrong. I love all my L series lenses, but it sucks schlupping them about all over the place there. It's a lot of weight. You're talking a couple pounds for every lens. Now, uh, you know, I weighed my camera bag the other day with like a set of primes and two zooms in it. And my 5D Mark III bag was somewhere in the range of like 24 pounds, 23 pounds. Wow. And I mean, that's that's ridiculous like that is ridiculous that's bad for you like i almost bought one of those stupid backpack things that you know keeps your lenses above your head to balance your center i'm not doing that That, instead i'm just gonna carry (laughs) my gh4 around and, and be happy with it i'm sorry that's my rant everybody already knows that i've kind of fallen for the gh4 and form factor and and whatnot this is probably the 20 gazillionth time i've talked about it um all right anything else before we wrap this show up devin no,
1: uh you know what? Uh look forward to NAB. That's what I'm doing.
0: Yeah, man. Oh, hey, uh we'll talk about the schedule. Devin's coming with me to NAB this year, guys. So I am? Yes, Devin's coming <laughs> with me. Uh we'll probably meet up with Mitch. We might even do like a full-fledged uh show there live or something. Uh, yeah, probably why not, not going to be doing a ton of of individual booth coverage just because that's a lot of work and it takes the fun out of nab but i think we'll definitely be doing some you know one day two day three day wrap-ups of the stuff that we really love at nab and and maybe hanging out in the press room and 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 we'll be on twitter we'll
1: do social stuff too during the show that'll be fun
0: yeah so look forward to that (laughs) that's coming up fairly soon in fact i need to start booking our tickets for that so uh on that note guys um thanks again for listening and watching devin where can people find you you can find me on Twitter at DevoCut. And of course, guys, you can find this podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, anywhere SoundCloud audio is distributed, uh, podcast audio, that is. And you can find me on Twitter at DSLRFilmNoob. And of course, DSLRFilmNoob.com, which basically just gets updated with this podcast lately because I haven't had time to write, and that sort of sucks. So sorry about that. We'll see you next time on another episode of DSLRFilmNoob Podcast. <laughs>